in terms of burnout, yeah, I, I kind of just thought, I don't know who I am anymore. Wow. I don't, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know. At I don't 30, know. that's quite yeah. early, isn't it? Yeah, well, you, yeah, I suppose so in terms of if you're looking at a kind of middle passage, midlife crisis, whatever people yeah, want Yeah, mine was it. about 44. So. Okay. Yeah, okay, right. Um, we can talk more about that. I'm really interested in the, the middle passage, as, I, as I'd call yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think I was just full up. I'm just tired, you know. So I got to that point, and um, for the first time, really, I didn't know what to do. Yes, indeed. James calls it the middle passage. Never heard that one before. Most of us probably know it as midlife crisis. Unfortunately, it does happen to us all. Some like me, maybe a little later in life. I've always been a late developer. <laughs> and for some of us, it may even be in our teens. My stepsons have definitely gone through some of theirs quite early in their lives. It's not that it happens to us or when. It's really about how well equipped we are for dealing with it. And afterwards, looking back at it, knowing it was a gift. Anyway, have a listen to James's journey and see how it all played out for him after really not knowing what he was going to do with his life. Enjoy. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Share your story podcast, James. How are you today? Good, thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story today. And uh, But before we kind of dive into that, just just briefly before my first question, opening question. Of course, you're you're in Nottingham, aren't you? That's it. I'm based just well, just outside Nottingham, just uh, south of the river in, in a little place called West Bridgeford, which is part of Nottingham City. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and so it's quite ominous because today Nottingham is going into tier three lockdown. Correct. I think that's happening as far as we're aware uh, at midnight tonight. Um, yeah. there's, there's not too much detail at the moment. So, but yes, as we seem to be aware, yeah, that's mm. happening. Yeah, I, I saw it on the news last night because originally there was going to be, they delayed it, didn't they? Because they were going to uh, do one part of Nottingham, but now they're mm. saying they're doing the whole county. Which uh, is Yeah, and it is a little bit bizarre because the infection rate is coming down. Um, mm. You know, it was very high, but it's it's coming down now and on the way down. So, yeah, but it is what it is. It is what it is indeed, isn't <laughs> it? That's a really good, <laughs> good, good way of looking at it. Mm. Okay, James, so let me start with my the, the first question that I ask everybody, which is um, tell us a little bit about your personal life. So where were you born? Have you moved around the country or abroad mm. even? Mm. Um what about your schooling, your education, your career? And then we'll we'll get to current day and what you're yep. up to today. Sure. So over to you. Okay. Okay. So um so I was born in Suffolk, uh North Suffolk in a very small village. Um I come from uh, a kind of working class background. Um um lived in a council house. Um uh went to a i've got three siblings i'm the youngest of, of four um 
Ditto. Went, <laughs> yes, okay. So um, went to a um, bog standard comp, as they call them, or used to call them, secondary school in my day. Um, I There was no well, – and in the course in my day, there was the 11 plus. And if mm. you went to – if you passed your 11 plus, you got into grammar school, which was off the more academic route. Um, so I had – very little motivation, I think, from my family background to move towards academia. So I, I, I ended up in this school, didn't really do massively well um, with, in those days, what was CSEs. So I left, yes. school, at, left school at 16 um, and didn't have any idea what I was going to do. Um, mm. I, I, I've always said about myself, and maybe come on to this a little bit later, that I'm a bit of a late developer, um, so, and, and I think that has been true, in, uh, certainly up to, to my 30s. Mm. So what did I do when I left school? Well, um, my mum said to me, you will get a job, you will do something, and she sent me to the chicken factory. So for the first, I know a lot of maybe students nowadays even you know, get these kind of basic jobs, but for me, chicken factory um which in in those days was really good money for a 16 year old i you know it was actually one of the um the the the, the you know the job where you could could earn quite a bit of money so yeah wow. spent six i think i but i lasted there i think about six weeks kind of just hanging chickens pulling guts out of chickens or anything wow. chicken really you know and it was it wasn't it wasn't pleasant so i had a thought, um, and there was not many options in Suffolk. You either, what did you do? Well, you worked on a farm mm. or, you know, the other thing that you become a builder, you become a carpenter. And, and I had an opportunity um, of getting uh, an apprenticeship as a, as a carpenter. Wow. Um, and again, I, I didn't really, wasn't really thought I really, really want to do this, you know, but that was an option. Mm. So I got an apprenticeship. My um, salary immediately dropped by a half, Um, you know, so, yeah. And, but I did that apprenticeship uh, for three years. Um, But, and we did lots of massive jobs, you know, and I earned quite a lot of money in one Mm. sense, you know, because we worked on peacetime on bonus. Um, So as a young, young guy, I could, could earn quite a lot of money if you worked hard as it were in those days yes. if you did work hard you made money yes um, um so yeah so I did that for six years and then wow. so I was about at 22 I think um I did during that time um briefly get engaged and then get uh unengaged as it were right. um but then I and I think this was the thing I, for somehow I there are a lot of people I think can get in, in my kind of world stuck in kind of Suffolk in that area. And I, and I had an opportunity to get out of Suffolk, which was actually um, helped me, I think, and opened my eyes. I was quite sheltered boy. I, I, we were religious as well. We went to a kind of Baptist church. Um, so that was a big part of my life. I got involved in youth work and, and um, public speaking kind of stuff like that which right. I really enjoyed um so I had an opportunity to go down to um well theological college uh, in Bournemouth so at 22 I I left Suffolk and that was kind of I'd say a start of my my journey of uh, certainly one part of growing myself by moving away from these very kind of um almost sheltered um uh safe 
places. Yes. Yeah. Did you want me to carry on? Yeah, 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 do. Yeah, no, it okay. sounds great. So, so, so uh, I mean, no, I, I'm a really good listener, James, yeah, yeah, you'll discover. I, I don't want to interrupt you because you're, you're in flow and now you're in Bournemouth. Yeah. Theological. So, yeah, theological college. college. So, um, yeah, Bible, basically. Um, so, yeah, you, you, some people would say, oh, you know, what, what was all that about? You know, uh, and, and that was part of my world from, you know, being brought up in the church and stuff like that. Um, but for me, it, I don't think it was restrictive. It was actually, you know, and this is kind of how sheltered I was, it actually quite expansive for me. Mm. Um, uh, meeting people from all over the country, meeting people from all the world, all, yes. all over the world, getting different vibes on kind of theology, you know, different stuff that I'd never thought about. And, um, and continued my kind of work in, you know, kind of passion, you could say, working with young people, which, you know, to be fair, I still do today. Amazing. So um, so I, I did that. Then when I left there, I, I went back to Suffolk for wow. a year, okay. um, set up my own carpentry business, as it were. I, I lived in a house and somebody gave me a house, as it were, not gave me, gave me, but allowed me to live there rent free while I did the house up. Um, for them oh um, nice so that was great but that this wasn't really what I wanted I didn't want to really be back in Suffolk it, this wasn't um, my kind of future as I saw it no um, so back there for a year then an old friend from the theological college um, was working in uh, Amersham Buckinghamshire in a little place yes. actually next to Amersham called Chesham Bois Chesham Boys um, and he worked in an Anglican church they're very dynamic chap um, he is now and has been for many, many years working in um, working and living in Guatemala um, with street children. Um, uh, does a fantastic job out there. Um, right. So he, is, he was very dynamic. He brought me into the kind of this uh, massive church youth work. And so I ran a lot of the work, you know, very busy, kind of just uh, almost did it all the time, you know, and a single guy, um, kind of very focused. So um, you, you'll notice I, I, I do lots of things in three. So I was at, at this theological college for three years. I, okay, I had the year in Suffolk. Then I did another three years in this very affluent area. And so from that affluent area, I went to the um, it, it kind of inner city Hull. So I went from being in a very you know, safe environment to going to work with an organization where I my brief was to set up a community, inner city community, yeah, um, um, and working with the children and young people within that community. So um, I we lived in a little two up, two down um, in uh, just Terrace House. Um, we invited three other um, youngish people to work besides us, where we worked out how to live in community um living with each other eating with each other working with each other as you can imagine incredibly intense yes and setting up projects doing um we set up a detached youth work project which basically meant we spent all of our time walking on the streets in, in the evenings during the day connecting with young people mm. who were not coming into youth clubs or were not kind of outside of school we went into school doing um uh you know whatever we could assemblies lessons we also um 
um, set up kind of street events on, on the street that we lived, mm. uh, often engaged in that, and also set up children's clubs and youth clubs. So very, very full on yeah. um, for those three years and very powerful in terms of opening my eyes in terms of um, right. uh, life and what was important in life mm. and also in my my view of theology at that time absolutely changed me from this concept of, I, I think often uh, sometimes people in the church have this sense that, uh, of, of knowing stuff and that, that the, our job is to teach other people or to give them our knowing. Mm, and it was mm. almost a top down. And what I discovered within this community was and in the learning was a complete reversal of that, that actually we were going there to learn. We were right. going there. For, so it was a bottom up. It was more of a, of, of a compassionate, empathic um, view of let's, let's just get to know people. We're not trying to do anything to these people. We're not trying to we don't need to to convert them, if you like, they yes. need to convert us. Right, um, right. And it was a kind of really kind of a di- totally ch- changing way of, of, of from my my own perspective of how I saw the world and how I saw at that time um, uh, the faith. Yeah. Um, wow. So, so what happened? <laughs> Basically, it was intense. Yeah. And, you know, what happened to me was I burnt out. Uh, right. You know, I was, you and know, how old were you at the stage? I, yeah, I was just thinking about thirty. Right. So still, still single. Um, yeah, yeah. Still, you know, flying the flag and trying to go forward and you know work all the time, energy, yeah. passion, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, and then I the the the, the kind of community kind of semi imploded. Um, lots of things that were not being said or done or things were going on, you know, can often happen in these intense communities. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pleased to say that the work that we set up there, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago is mm. still going, you know, yeah. it's still, we, you know, we kind of rooted some stuff in that community, which I, I'm kind of really pleased about. Yes. But yeah. But in terms of burnout, yeah, I, I kind of just thought, I don't know who I am anymore. Wow. I don't, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know. At don't 30, know. that's quite yeah. early, isn't it? Yeah, well, you, yeah, I suppose so in terms of if you're looking at a kind of middle passage, midlife crisis, whatever people yeah, want. Yeah, mine was it. about 44. So. Okay. Yeah, okay, right. Um, we can talk more about that. I'm really interested in the, the middle passage, as, I, as I'd call yeah. it. You know, and yeah, um, but, yeah, so I, I think I was just full up. I'm just tired, you know. So I got to that point, and um, for the first time, really, I didn't know what to do. I just mm. didn't know where to go. I didn't have any, but thought what I did. Mm. I don't know. So I kind of took some, just took some time out and um, I went to a few places in Sheffield, went on kind of retreat, if you like, in these kind of spiritual retreats, nice. just trying to, you know, whether it's contemplate or get a message from God and, and or stuff like that. But um, so what I ended up doing, I, um, I ended up moving to Northumberland for about three years um and um (laughs) so uh so what i ended up i moved into a spiritual community so still i was really interested in community still am really kind of that concept of um simple living if you like uh, living with other people i i I find that really enticing really interesting right right um 
Um, but so we lived in a kind of what would call, be called a spiritual retreat in the middle of nowhere. Um, seriously, you know, five miles from any kind of shop or any you know, wow. house. Um, and um, we lived a very simple life. We had people come to us on a, a bit of like a retreat center. Yeah. And I suppose what happened for me there was, I'd say, um, a real... Um, I think I started to really face myself for the first time, started to really be honest with myself and almost that sense of, you know, the James that was, you know, thought he knew stuff, the James that thought he was mature, the James that thought he was kind of clever. Yeah. Um, that all crumbled. Mm. Basically my ego crumbled and I had to face myself, and I'm almost feeling quite tearful as I say this. I, I had to imagine, face yeah. myself, yeah, kind of for the first time. And it was—it's almost like a—I think it was like a stripping down, yeah, um, like this this old, you know, external appearance or this mm. part of me that I wanted to project, yeah. and I thought that was really kind of you know you know cool or whatever. It it kind of just crumbled. And I, it, it was a very painful, certainly first year. Mm. Um, just it wasn't unlearning, I think. Um, and yes, uh, during that time, I unlearned so much stuff in terms of the dogma, um, yeah. theological dogma, and um, became very much more connected with um, self-development. Yeah. Um, I was reading quite a lot of... Um, what do you call them, um, kind of spiritual um, people who were connecting with uh, uh, um, the emotional world, people that you may or may not have never heard of, but people like Mention Henry, some names. Henry Mention Nowen, uh, Thomas Merton, who's a really well-respected um, still um, writer. He, he had an unfortunate death, but he was kind of a monk and a, and a hermit. And uh, um, Jean Vanier, which again, unfortunately some kind of bad news come out of it, about him since his death but but these kind of people who were really trying to do a lot more internal work trying right. to actually um let's get connected with your your inner world mm. it's not just about the external yeah yeah and so for me this so that so i think this is the this is where the i i suppose my the first half of my life kind of started to finish and the second half of my life began yes because i started to lead people who were coming there on um retreat and so we called them spiritual directors um right. a bit like a therapist really so i wasn't a therapist i didn't really know too much about that but a couple of things happened while i was up there firstly i met my wife um so uh she came up on retreat i wasn't leading her on retreat you know that was you know um but uh, we started a relationship we met within we met on up in northumberland um and in six months we were married in northumberland and we had a uh we thought a very creative um wedding in the um outside in this beautiful place where we lived um, and, and we'd arranged all these amazing things, you know. Um, however, the as happens in Northumberland, the kind of as they call it, the har rolled in off the coast. We we're only ten miles from the coast, ten right, miles yeah. from Melinda's farm. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And so, the, and you could see it. it was a beautiful day in the end of May, sunny in the morning. And you can just see this har, as they call it in Northumberland, rolling in off the coast. And as it came in, it got colder and colder and Aww. colder. So fortunately, we had a marquee and we had heated in the marquee, but yeah. it was, wasn't the... But yeah, people remember it because it was, it was very creative and it was very cold. Um, <laughs> so, so we got there and uh, so we got married. Um, uh, and the other thing I, what I learned was that I, I, I'd suddenly thought, you know what? I think I am really interested in counselling. So mm. in a little place just on the border, Berwick-upon-Tweed, I found that I they were it. doing a 10-week um, counselling course in the local FE college there. And um, so I did this counselling course, 10 week, which I've since delivered those 10 week courses. Um, yes. And, and it's um, and that was that that was kind of thing. I love this. This is right. what I want to do. This is what this is it. Um, and that was when I was probably about, so I don't know, 35, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm married at 35, I think. Um, so from there. We thought our time at the community had come to an end. We thought we need to move on. And um, so we we moved to Nottingham. And that's kind of where we've been. Where you are now. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, thank you so much for sharing all that amazing, yeah. you know, journey. That, yeah. that That's some journey, my friend. That's <laughs> really, really interesting. And thank you. And um, so... So I suppose, you know, I mean, I've interviewed lots of people and I listen to their journey and things happen on the journey yeah. that prepare them for what they're going to do later in life, yeah. you know, mm. and that's true for virtually everybody. Mm. You know, even the ne negative things happen on the way and in the moment they are negative, but really they're hidden gifts, yeah. you yeah. know. Absolutely. And so everything that happened on your journey, even going to theological college and going to Bournemouth and then doing even the carpentry, there, there's something there in terms of, you know, um, in terms of Jesus and carpenter and, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's very bizarre. So, um, but the fact that you've kind of moved around kind of searching, I suppose, mm. And then on your search, you did discover what it is that you wanted to do. Yep. And, and you've got to consider yourself super, super lucky because lots of people are still walking around on this planet going, I don't know what I want to do, yep. you know. Sure. So, yeah, but well done for, mm. I suppose, opening up. And I suppose it's only when you opened up and got rid of anything, got rid of the ego i mean we can't truly get rid of the ego completely but getting rid of the first layer of ego mm. perhaps um recognizing it even yeah face, recognizing uh, that, that there is yeah. one yeah 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 100 percent. yeah most people don't even realize they've got no. one or they're in denial that it even exists yeah. you know I mean, yeah i think i i like the language of uh, you know i you know waking up you know mm. for me i woke up and i think there are a lot of people in society just sleepwalking through life. Yes. You know. Yes. I I, I definitely did. 100%. Yeah. And and yeah, so I woke up when I was kind of 44. So mm. I'm a late developer too. You yep. know, I was quite late in 
I, I know they say that's the kind of typical age it happens, but even so, I would have preferred it happened a lot sooner because my life would have been very different, but who knows? Okay, so Nottingham, did you have a job to go to? No. Um, so my wife did. Uh, she's a physiotherapist. Great. So we moved for her with her job. Um, we again, we moved into a, a, you know, and again, this is our kind of lack of I don't like to go into regret or, you know, mm. I think there's a there's a lot of um, unhealthy stuff there. But we we didn't we, we had thoughts of being in community again. We wanted yeah. that. We were searching for living in community. Unfortunately, we did do a lot of work on that for over about three, four, five, five years. But nothing really happened. So we so we, we ended up in this little uh, inner city area in Nottingham. Um, and again, we didn't really, we were kind of looking, searching for stuff like that. I, um, I knew that I wanted to get on a counseling course. That was one of the, but the other reason we moved down to, to Nottingham because we knew there was at least two or three counseling courses at that time. Mm-hmm. So I almost immediately as I could, I applied to, to do a counseling course uh, at the Trent University, which was a kind of very person-centered kind of course, which is what I kind of practice. Right. Um, um, and then, but not a job, and I needed a job. So I ended up kind of, okay, well, what, what, what do I know? I either know you, young people or I know um, Wood. Um, yes. So, uh, and Wood is still in my life. I'm, I love creating. I do a lot of DIY in, in my home, really right. find that useful skill, um, build lots of stuff out in the garden and that. But so I went in, I got a job in a, in a school, which was kind of halfway house as a, as a kind of what was called then a learn, me, learning mentor. Um, right. So it's kind of a, a kind of therapeutic kind of role, but working with children classically who had behavioral issues. Right, um, yes. I, so I worked there for probably about a year. Then I got this job in the, um, in the education sector, again, working in um that is called the behavior support team. So it ended up a brilliant new team, young, enthusiastic, lots of energy. Um, and we, our task really was to work with the most difficult children in Nottingham who were getting excluded or yes. were, were trying to prevent them getting excluded. So lots mm. of angry boys and girls. Yeah, yeah. And so again, a really, and so I could do lots of practical work in that job work. And also I was trained as a therapist then, and I could start practicing my working with young people and children in therapy. Um, and the, um, they supported me in my work. Um, right. I don't know financially in the course, but maybe a little bit, um, but certainly time-wise. Um, so, th- so, I, so I kind of did that for, I think, probably about seven or eight years um, and while, once I'd finished training as a counsellor, I then started um, my own private practice. And I, so I built that practice up. And every time I built that up, I kind of dropped a day off my, my kind of day job, as it were. Um, right. And they were very good for, you know, local education authority, pretty flexible in that way. Um, uh, so that was one of the first things I did after finishing therapy course. The other thing that really got me in doing this therapy course which again has led me on to you know what I do now really is that on classically on a lot of uh, therapy courses they will be populated by by women um yes. and so classically you know 20 people you might have two or three men 
Um, uh, and so this immediately, in, in terms of my own growth emotionally, trying to work out um, kind of or develop my emotional fitness, I became very, very interested in men and masculinity and um, how, what, looking at my own life and had to mm. do a lot of exploring, a lot of self-awareness in the, in the kind of papers we wrote. Mm. Um, but just trying to think, okay, I, you know, what, what's going on with us as, as, as boys and men in terms mm. of emotionally? Mm. Um, so the first one I knew, and this was a very clear knowing, which, you know, again, knowing that I wanted to do therapy but really knowing that I wanted to help support men to yes. develop emotional fitness so one of the first things I did was to set up an a men's group I wanted to be in a men's group and um so and I and then set up this little company called men at work um, right. which was the idea of trying to help men dig deeper um and two things we did. First, we, we wanted to set up men's groups, and I wanted that men's group for myself. Um, and this was right seven, probably 17 years ago now. Um, and also, um, I wanted to work with men and anger. And so I set up a group called Shout, um, which was ran for about eight years, you know, in the community. We were funded to run that. Very successful course, very practical course, men from all walks of life. Um, you had men who were university professors sitting next to a man who'd just come out of prison or someone who's homeless. And it was fantastic vibe and energy. And um, how did they get referred to you then? Yeah, well, we, we were connected to a lot of the agencies right. um, in Nottingham who, you know, uh, so we always had a full course. And we, at one point at our peak, we ran two or three of those courses a year. Yeah. Um, there were 10-week courses, 20-hour courses, um and very practical you know we and that's kind of how I do a lot of my work well, up until the uh COVID that was you know physicality you know yes. and especially when working with men right wow and and that's still going today is it men at work isn't going uh today I mean it we ran it for about nine years we we wanted to expand it we were we had you know we had everything set up we needed we needed money ultimately to set up a, a hub and a uh, admin and we were putting in some big grants and it, they just never came off and I my job at that point was solely kind of um, self-employed yes. so I needed to earn money yeah. um, so I was running my private practice I was doing these um, sh um, shout courses I was working in school independently on a on a kind of day rate and also yes um running training and workshops and stuff like that so kind of i i needed it's almost how much time did i have to to develop that and that was really sad actually because i think there's a lot of potential still there you know i still keep going back to it because you know, there's a lot there's more and more kind of men's works work groups coming up out now but that to me you know we, we was kind of one of the 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 the, the kind of uh first and kind of biggest ones I, I suppose in Nottingham at that time you know right um, right yeah. oh what a shame yeah because it's so desperately needed isn't it mm, mm. I mean if you hear you know when we went into lockdown in March and then the report started coming out about the 
domestic abuse figures, you mm. know, increasing significantly yeah. as a result of that. Mm. And all of that pent up anger and sure. destruction and yeah. my God, it's yes. just dreadful, exactly. isn't it? And it's, yeah, no, it's exactly. society does need a lot of that kind of support. But I guess if men don't realize that they've got stuff going on inside of them that needs dealing with, or they need to go and get find support, you know, that there's, there is still that, as, as we talked about earlier, there's still that kind of recognition required at some point, isn't there? Because mm. no one's going to turn around and say to somebody, Hey, you, you need some anger management. Mm. You know, that will be the typical thing that people yeah. would say, mm. or you need to go and get some help. Oh, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, yeah. they yeah. need help. Um, sure. And that's the difficult bit. I think it's like, yeah. how do you get the message across? Yeah. But there is no, you know, I don't know about you and I might be totally wrong because it's not my area of expertise. You're more in, in the middle of it all. But there's, there's no kind of, you know, campaign out there nationally that says, you know, if you're a man and struggling with your feelings or you've got anger issues going on, you know, come and talk to us over here type yeah. of thing. Yeah, um, I, mean, I, th I think it's happening a lot more. There's a lot there's a lot of work going on in terms of um, stigma, which is classically around men, you know, the kind of classic stuff of, you know, big boys don't cry or, yes. you know, you've got to be strong, you've got to be tough, you shouldn't need any help. So self-reliance, they're all strong messages that boys and men have grown up with. So we, we've learned that we we don't ask for help. No. We, 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 we sort out ourselves from a, what I'd call an external comforter. Um, but, you know, you could say in like the, the, the one of the big projects is happening in, in a couple of days time in, in November, you know, and I think their big campaign is really about helping men to become a lot more connected. And this year, I think, is really interesting because they're talking a lot about men. You need to talk. You need yeah, to that's talk, true. Yeah. talk about yeah. your emotions. So I think that that's a really powerful kind of kind of fun kind of way of connecting with men. And, um, mm. and from my own psychotherapy practice, look, you know, 95% of my clients are male. Um, and that's fairly un uncommon, you know, yeah. um, therapists. Um, you know, I specialize in men and boys. I advertise and and that's what happens, you know. So I work with anger and men. A lot of, a lot of therapists don't work with men and anger. Um, so 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 for me, that that kind of idea there is there is a change that, that men are connecting and getting help. I'm not sure how much there is in terms of them starting off as in even fathering or how boys are treated i still think they're getting the kind of um messages that are they're being told that you know classically you got a man up you got to be tough you got to be strong and I, I don't think there's that much change unfortunately in in that area no no and um okay so so in a, in summary then what is it what what are all the strands that you're involved with today because yeah. kind of listening to you what you were doing you were like involved in a number of different strands and then one yeah, strand yeah. dropped off and yeah, so yeah. so 
I mean, maybe it's going to change in the future again, but no. just give us a standstill report on, yep. okay. on what so you're today, doing today. Yeah, today. So today I am still working in schools. So I work in one school, actually. I'm employed in a school um, as a school counsellor um, for two okay. days a week, which I kind of like, you know, it's um, in terms of having that regularity and because I think counsellors can be quite isolated. So having some colleagues and, and working in that environment. So two days a week, um, I do that. And then for about two days, I'd say, uh, two days, uh, I work in private practice. Um, right. So basically seeing individuals or couples, as I said earlier, mainly men, sometimes teenagers, of course, families I'll see, um, working with couples. Um, also, I do some training. Um, so I've been training therapist mainly for the last 10 or so years classically on my kind of topic around men so I do you know um, uh, workshops on uh, successfully working with men or men and anger and mm. also my recent stuff is more about you know men shame and intimacy and kind of let's let's, let's look into that I, I also set up kind of conferences got a, a, a conference around all about men at the end of this month on the 21st of November called loving men. So, you know, kind of how do men love? What do, how do we learn? What do we learn about love? How do we express our love? How do we yeah. reject love? That kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of quite fascinated about that at the moment and in, yeah. in terms of my own journey and but also in, in working with men. So also work as a, a supervisor, supervise another therapist. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, so those I think those key things, uh, and the other thing that I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to, I've, I've recently um, authored a book, so I'm interested in writing and plan to do uh, other um, projects, writing projects. So, so yeah, I think that would I think that probably covers what, what I'm what I'm up to at the moment. Wow, okay, <laughs> there's quite a lot there, isn't there? <clears throat> and so talk us talk a little bit more about the book. Yeah. Um, so the book is um, called The Secret Lives of Men, um, and kind of 10 Keys to Unlock the Mystery um, as a subtitle. So the, the book, <laughs> it took me a long time to write this book, you know, mm -hmm. um, partly about time and energy. You know, I ended up self-publishing it. Um, but so a lot of years work and, 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 and come out of a lot of years of work of working with men. Yes. So the original idea came from a, a talk I did for women called 10 tips on how to understand men mm. equally I also put on a talk um, called an MOT for men um, right. uh, no man turned up to the talk on the MOT to men um, the 10 tips on how to understand men where it was packed Women, women want love you know and this is one of the things that I learn and have learned about um, um, often relationships is that women often do the relational and the emotional work for their partner, for their for their male, um, for their man, the man in their lives, or even for their sons. Mm. And so that women will read books about men on relationships. They will come to talks about men um, where men often don't come no. to talks about themselves because that would tie into some of the what we call the male code. Mm. Um, so this talk, you know, was 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 really coming out of the idea that this is what, what, what where, where men are coming from. So it came from that point of thing. And then the other reason I, I wrote the book is that I was getting more and more wives, partners, um, girlfriends, um, nudging their men to come to therapy. 
Um, um, and uh, so the men came, mm-hmm. some of them reluctantly, but they came. Mm-hmm. And they, in therapy, they started to develop emotional fitness. So what I mean by emotional fitness is when we can express the right feeling in the right way to the right person. So we're kind of more attuned, more in sync. We're kind of connected. Mm. So these guys were starting to connect with their vulnerable emotions. So I'd classically name the vulnerable emotions under the umbrellas of kind of sadness, anxiety, and shame, you know, hurt, disappointment. So these kind of what what have often been called the weak emotions, you know, which mm. just be strong, just stick to anger, my that's friend. Right. You know, that's the that's the toughie. Yeah. So they they were going home and expressing these emotions, mm. and they were then hearing from the women folk say, "Hey, tough up, toughen up, man up. I don't want to hear about this. This is that." So that was really interesting to me. So what is going on here? Whoa. So, yeah. And because, and I think what was going on there, so this is the heart of the book, really, in terms of um, women have been brought up generally in households where with a father who would be displaying um, typical, you know, some people call traditional um, messages of masculinity. Yes. And so the little girls and the women would have this expectation of a man. Yes. So they might have the expectation of their father. Oh, dad is silent. Dad is kind of um, a good DIYer. Dad is kind of strong or dad is angry. So they take that concept of, oh, this is what a man looks like. Mm -hmm. They then walk into a relationship with their unspoken expectations i'm hoping that my man will be good at diy i hope he will be um you know this and that but they but what they also then wake up to is actually do you know what i want a man who can be emotionally connected mm-hmm. and this is where the incongruence come that's so, right well, if a man becomes <laughs> congruent with his emotions he starts sharing these but well, hold on my dad never did that he was mm-hmm. tough he was strong. He would never have shared these little, little vulnerable emotions. That's what we do, you know. So there was the confusion. Yes. So my, I suppose my view is that I mean, in writing the book, look, if we want men to become more emotionally fit, and if women want men to become more emotionally fit in their relationships, women will have to change their expectations of men and masculinity as well. Mm. Yeah. I need to – do you know – Pauline Crawford? No. Okay, she's in America now. Well, she's sometimes in different parts of the world. Sometimes she's in the UK, but she's got an American husband called... Her, her name is Pauline Crawford Omps, O-M-P-S. Oh. And she does a lot of work, similar but not the same, mm. <laughs> around masculinity and femininity in men. Yeah. So, yeah. And she talks about the you know, masculine man, feminine man type of thing, you know, and the differences. And um, yeah, she, she, I'll I'll introduce you because she, I think she still does a podcast. I've been on her podcast and yeah, gone. which will be an interesting for her to hear some of the thoughts that you have on this topic, you know, because she's beating the similar drum to you. Um, but I think you go 
tiny bit deeper on it from the sounds of it <laughs> oh possibly i i don't know i mean there's a lot of work on on men you know look, i've got bookshelves these are mainly all about men and psychotherapy and men and psychology and myth poetic stuff robert Bly. there's loads and loads and loads of stuff i've read i'm yes. really interested in that but i i i i i I don't, I must admit, I don't like the idea of dividing men up into this feminine and masculine bit. Right. For me, or I don't like dividing women up neither. I think, look, you know, we start from the place that we are human, you know, mm. and we have the capacity as humans to express all the emotions, to be, be men absolutely are able to be tender, vulnerable, compassionate, empathic, all the classic, what we would call, that's what women do. That's the feminine stuff. Yes. What, why have we, why have we um, not been connected with that? And I, I kind of explore this a bit in my book in terms of the, the second part of the book. The first yeah. part of the book is about relationships. You know, a bit like what we've just said, you know, the unspoken kind of expectations that we come into of these relationships and how terrible and destructive they can be if we don't wake up to these unspoken expectations mm. and mm. how so many relationships fall into functionality and away from intimacy. The second part of the book is all about the construction of men. So how are men made? You know, so, you know, what, what, what did we learn? And I kind of described, look, if, if um, boys were not born with a hammer in their hand, you know, they, 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 they had to, why did, why do boys become more physical or, and of course, they're, they're, I'm not denying chemical kind of um, uh, impact here. Yes. Um, but but why do we, you know, we've kind of pushed and we're now breaking out of this really in cultures where why are we pushing boys and men to kind of the, the practical things, the STEM subjects, if you like, and, and women not. Now, we are breaking out of that, which I think is really exciting to see. Mm. But But this idea of putting people into camps Okay, this is what a man is. This is what a woman is. And, you know, we, we, we could probably have a big discussion about, well, what is it that makes a man a man and a woman a woman? And I think in any idea of, a, you know, your, your masculinity, if you like, would be different to mine. That's, that's very vibrant. That's really exciting stuff that not all men are the same. No. Um, but we all have the capacity to be um, to embrace all of these different parts of ourselves, and and in my world, absolutely all the emotions and the emotional expressions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you make a very very good point there, and I think it is so misunderstood. Um, you you've been on on the, you know TV and radio yet. I've, <laughs> I, well, I'm, I've been on radio a few times, local radio. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would like to get onto those sort of things. You know, obviously, as we said earlier, you know, kind of trying to promote my book and yes. you know, it can be quite tough. But but yeah, so I'd, I'd, I think I would, certainly my my whole work really is about developing emotional fitness. Yeah. You know, I want to put yeah. it in a parity. I want to reduce the stigma. Look, yeah. you know, we know, most of us know what it means to be physically fit. We know mm -hmm. about diet. We know about exercise. Most of us have no idea how to become emotionally fit. No. And, and, and yeah, I mean, you need to be on, you know, Good Morning Britain and, and places like that, or, you know, the kind of, the, the, the go-to kind mm. of, you know, 
well, what's James take on this? You yes. know, this situation that's going on with men yeah. or, yeah. you know, I mean, I would, I would, if we have time, I would, I would love to know what your view is on somebody like Donald Trump. <laughs> You know, <laughs> <laughs> where <do> we start? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, quickly, my view on Donald Trump would be that I think he is stuck in the first half of life. And the first half of life is all about ego building. It's all about, you could say, the boy. And, you know, if and I you do meet men, I, I don't think he's actually grown up. He's not developed. No. Um, he's not developed the capacity, it seems to me, for compassion, for empathy. And so I think he's probably stuck in a kind of narcissistic, kind of self-centered way of seeing the world. And I think that is classically the first half of life. And if he was in the first half of life, it would be very understandable. First half of life, you know, so be 35, 40. But when men, and often men do, move into the second half of life and they're still trying to build their ego it becomes incredibly destructive mm. um you know they second half of life um naturally i think is about going inwards yes kind of be reconnecting with yourself connecting with those classically those more internal emotions the, the classically more vulnerable emotions mm. Mm. and you've got someone on a world stage and many other people in, in business who, yes they're, they're kind of lethal because he's a, he's a boy with power and he has no ability and not enough people around him to, to help him contain that power. No. Yeah. I, I, I watched bits of the debate with Joe Biden and the first really kind of um, car crash that they had between them where they were talking over each other. Yeah. And the moderator said to Trump, you got to stop interrupting him. And he went, yeah, well, he does it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, well, he's in the bloody playground. Well, he does it too, so why can't I, you know? <laughs> Don't tell me off, teacher, because... <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, exactly. And it, it, Not, it's... wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> he, started, but... he did it first. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, 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 after, I wrote in my book, you know, what, what, what's the difference between, you could say, a, 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 a kid alt and an adult? I often say a oh. boy, boy and a man. Now, my, my son always tells me, if you can't say that, stop using that idea of a boy, because actually, and he's absolutely right, because there mm. are some boys who are more mature and they really kind of get this stuff. That's so right. even, even though there would be a boy. So I've tried, I, even though I've written this in the book, but I would say the difference between, let's say, a kid alt and an adult is um, that an adult would take responsibility for his emotions, his language and his behavior. Kid alts don't tend to do that. And children, if, you know, when we've got ch little children, of course we don't expect them to take responsibility for you know, no. all of those things. But at the older they get, the more, you know, no, you need to take responsibility for that um, little six-year-old. You know, you mm. can't speak to your, your mummy or your dad like that. So you need to take responsibility. And so, and so it goes on. And so this is when you look at somebody like Trump on the world stage, you're thinking, you really are still acting almost like a five and a six-year-old. Yes, 
Yeah. You know, which yeah. is, again, incredibly disturbing. Very disturbing indeed. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, what, what have we not covered that you would like to share with everybody that's listening to the podcast? Are there any other things that you're doing or, um, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll get you to share your website and your book yeah, site yeah. and everything else in a minute. But is there anything else that we haven't covered? Because I think we've gone quite deep, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I think that's... That, that, but in terms of what I do, mm. I think we've probably covered most of those things. I, I think one of the things that I would like to do a lot... Uh, what I would, I would like to do yes. um, is to do a lot more um, speaking. I yeah. do I do speaking um, a, a lot more kind of group work. I do do group work as well, you know, um, but I, I think that's in terms of where I, you know, so I'm very busy in individual therapy. Yes. I'm very happy in that, but I can see the next two or three years, I would like to move a lot more to um, speaking, kind of um, doing online courses um, and setting up online courses yes. um, and, and writing. I think that's kind of what, I'm my, my 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 ideal plan would be brilliant brilliant and this is like you know coming on to podcasts is like your book tour I guess as well isn't it <laughs> I like that yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's working out like that yes yeah exactly. yeah which is brilliant yeah okay so so tell us what people can learn more about you more about the book and everything else yeah. that you do yeah, so my I've got a couple of couple of websites. Um, the first one, which I've had up for years, is called synergycounseling.com. Right. Um, now that on there, you'll find all about my um, therapeutic practice. Um, you'll find it really lots of really good information about um, men, women, anger, emotional fitness. There's pages on all that kind of stuff. I, I also have started working with a um, some associate counselors who are working with me so you'll find information about them as well um the other more recent website is called jameshaws.org um and that will be more about my book how you can buy my book um it is on amazon as well you can have a look there's some good really good reviews about the book on on amazon just, that, just that, remind us the title again yep so the secret lives of men um james hawes and you see that so there's some good reviews on that but in on at the website jameshaws.org, you'll find a lot more about um, the other work that I'm kind of wanting to do about the speaking and different. Um, hopefully, if we get out of COVID, some really exciting projects that I'm hoping to do. Uh, me and Michael, we were just talking about cycling. Yes. So yes. and what? So one of the projects which I really love to do is called cycle cycle therapy. So right. psychotherapy, psychotherapy. Oh, so the idea, love it. <laughs> the idea of um, taking some people on a cycle tour, but we do therapy as we do it. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're kind of checking in and we're using the journey and the experience of that. So I would love to do that. Um, so but that sounds amazing. Yeah, so, so yeah, so so things like that. You'll find more about that on that website. That that really. I'm just gonna have a drink. That sounds very, very interesting. I'd definitely be interested in that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, in my men's group, you see, we do this. We we, we go on cycle tours and we're, we're kind of classically the men's group. We're always, you know, we do our check-ins. You know, you get up a big hill, exhausted. 
let's have a check-in, man. And what we're doing by having a check-in, we're saying, how are we emotionally? What's going on for you? Wow. How are you what, what's going on? You know, how are you feeling about this other man, you know, in the group? So we're really kind of trying to be as authentic. And it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of really alive. That's what I love about being in a men's yeah, group. Yeah, that guy's showing off because he just <laughs> he just raced up the hill. Yeah, well, that, absolutely. <laughs> and so the other man at the you know at the back could feel a bit of shame. You know, he might have been mm. thinking, "Oh, I thought I was going to keep up with these guys, but I'm not. I'm not so not so good." So he goes into a different emotional state, and uh, you know, do you know what I mean? So it's really alive when you do those physical, practical things, and and when you're working with your emotions. James, it's it just sounds so innovative. Everything that you're doing, it, it just sounds fabulous. I'm I'm really going to see if I can get this out, your podcast out to as many kind of right. media outlets that we can. Because, mm. yeah, you need to. Uh, we need to get you up. Um, yeah, well, I love that, Michael. Thank you very much. Need to get you up in in front of lots of people because this mm. is so desperately needed. Definitely. Right. I've, I've really loved talking to you. Thank you so much for your time oh, and brilliant. your energy. I mean, I can see, you know, and I'm glad we video recorded that because I can really see the passion inside of you mm. as well, uh, in your voice, but also in your body language. And, <laughs> and so it's just superb. So thank you so much for your time. I'll put all the kind of website links and everything in the, in the show notes. Yep. And hopefully when we kind of get out of lockdown one day, <laughs> keep me posted on the cycle therapy. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm up for joining that one day. Definitely. Great. That'd be really, really interesting. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll meet in person one day in the future as well. Yeah. Can I just say, Michael, just as a little, if, if people go on my mm. website, jameshawes.org, yes. um, they can subscribe to my newsletter. I mean, I'm thinking about psychotherapy and when that might happen. But when they subscribe, they'll get a free chapter of my book. Great, great offer. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll mention that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, James. Great. Take nice care and hope Thank to you. see you one day soon. Brilliant. Well, thanks for having me. Okay. Bye for now. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share at will. I'm always looking for more listeners and guests, so do get in touch, please. You can find me pretty easily by searching for Staying Alive UK. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story.